Turn your Bibles to Psalm 124. They're continuing these songs that they would sing on their way to church, climbing up the mountain to the temple of God those three times of year. And there are great truths here. Do you believe the Lord is on your side? Do you believe the Lord is for you? That's what this song is about. And it states it sort of in a negative questioning way. It says if the Lord hadn't been on our side, this is what would have happened. But because this didn't happen, we know the Lord was on our side. And, and you can basically say it like this. Because I'm still alive today, I know God's on my side. Because if He wasn't on my side, I would have already died. That's basically what this song says. Let's look at it. Psalm 124, verse 1. It would have been repeated like the announcer would have said the first part and then the congregation would have responded. I was going to have you do that today, but decided not to. But you can kind of follow along. Verse 1. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, and they repeat, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, and then you would repeat verse 4, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Verse 6, Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'm going to preach this message a little bit different than normal. I'm going to start out with the three points about who God is from this song. And then we're going to look at the, the proof that He is on our side. The first statement about who God is is from verse 1 and 2, which is saying that the Lord is on your side. God is for you. I want you to personalize this today as I preach this message. I want you to internalize by faith what is being said here in the Word of God. Do you believe that God is on your side? I'm not talking about our church. I'm not talking about your family. I'm talking about you personally. Do you believe that God is on your side? That God is for you? He says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, and he basically goes on for the rest of the psalm to preach about how God carried them through when they were attacked by men. We'll look at this. This will be the brief outline later. They were attacked by men. They were attacked by the devil. And they were attacked by sin. And in all those instances, they would have been killed if God had not been on their side. <coughs> so then in verse 6, it brings out another truth about God. He says, blessed be the Lord. Remember this word blessed, when you read that word, when it's coming from us towards God, it has a different connotation than when it's coming from God toward us. When it's coming from God toward us, it is God pouring out all of His resources, all of His power and His ability down onto us. When it is from us going towards God and we say, blessed be the Lord, it literally has in the word the, the meaning of bowing the knee. It is you bowing your knee in a way of declaring how great God is. And, and in an effort, it's, it's kind of like all you have that you can give is blessing to God in the sense of declaring His greatness. And you would do that from a bent knee on your knees in prayer or in praise. So he says, blessed be the Lord. 
And then verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. A lot of churches start with this statement from the Word of God every week. They'll, they'll cry this out before the congregation. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord who is the Creator, who made the heavens and the earth, He is the one who is my helper. He is the one who carries me and bears me on His shoulders. He is the one who takes my sin on His cross. He is the one that gives me peace day to day. He is the one that secures me in my suffering. He is the maker of heaven and earth, and He is my help. Our help comes from the Lord. And so the whole point of this is that the Lord is on our side. Uh, and I'm going to give you the three different points here. The Lord is on our side, number four in your notes. When men rise up against us, we see this in verse 2. When men rose up against us, if the Lord had not been on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. Verse 3. The word swallow here leads you to know that these men who have come against you are larger than you. Or else they would not be able to swallow you alive. For someone to be swallowed alive is not two equal creatures coming against one another, but it's one that's much larger than the other. And the larger one is so big, their, their words, their mouth, their attack is so much larger than you that if they could, they would swallow you alive. They don't even need to chew you up. Men and groups of men can be so much more powerful than you are, so much bigger and stronger than you are. It's kind of like Goliath when David, little old David, faced big Goliath. Remember what Goliath said to David? He said, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the truth is, when men attack you and people come against you, you are powerless against them. And they can be so much larger and so much stronger than you that they could swallow you alive if God does not defend you. You can't defend your, yourself. When your name gets out there that it's, and it's harmed, you cannot defend that, no matter what you try to do. But God can. And that's why the song is saying, if God had not been on my side, when men rose up against me, they would have swallowed me alive. Look on in verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3. Then they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us. When their wrath was kindled against us, they were so angry with you, these men. The word kindle, we get that from, uh, we know that word when we would start a fire, we would gather kindling, little pieces of wood, and pile those up first because we know that you've got to start small, but let it grow hotter and hotter. And that's what it's talking about here. It's talking about these men who came against you. They, they were angry at you, and their anger was kindled. The word kindle here means to burn hot with jealousy. Jealousy against you. I don't know about you, but sometimes when men are mad at me, I, I, I think, why are they mad at me? Are you like that? Am I the only one like that? I think, why are they so mad at me? Why are they so angry? I didn't intend to do anything. I didn't try to harm them in any way. But their anger seems to be so furious and such a burning anger the Bible brings out here that it comes from jealousy many times. A hot, growing anger that's jealous. Look at verse 4. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. It's comparing this angry mob of people, these accusers of yours, to waters now. And it's, it's, it first was a beast that would swallow you whole. Now it's transitioned into waters 
that would come and overwhelm you, waters that would overcome you. And this word waters here in verse 4 is, is a, a word that means a large amount of water, like an ocean, a large volume of water. And it says that stream would have gone over your soul. It would have overflowed upon you. Look at the middle part of verse 4. The stream would have gone over our soul. So it goes from verse 4 waters to the middle of verse 4 to a stream. It transitions from a large volume of water to a stream, which is a fast-moving body of water. It's, it's different than this volume of, of first a large group of people. Now it's a stream. It's in its flow, and it's flowing so fast, or a river that's flowing so fast and so rapidly. Once you're consumed in it and caught in it, it just overcomes you. It, it, it swallows you up. And then verse 5. Then the swollen waters. And now in, the, in verse 5 it puts these two together. Waters and rivers or waters and streams. And it calls them swollen waters. And now it's a large volume, volume of water that is moving rapidly. It, it's neither separated by a large volume or a rapid volume of water. But now it's both swollen waters. A large body of water that's moving rapidly like a torrent and a, or a turbulent raging flowing rapidly out of control flood that seems to just sweep you and everything else away with it. And the point being made here is, that, is unless the Lord was on your side. If He would not have been on your side, then when men rose up against you, you would have been swept away by that people or that man like swollen waters. The second point of the song is that when the Lord is on your side, even when the devil is against you, he will not prevail. Look what it says in verse 6. Blessed be the Lord. It kind of transitions in verse 6. It stops for a minute and, and begins to bless God now. And, and it's now going to praise God in verse 6. It says, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us up as prey to their teeth. I believe that this now transitions from just merely seeing mere men to the work of the devil. To where the devil is now doing something in your life through these men. Uh, I, I don't want to give too much credit to the devil, but I don't want to never mention the devil either. Y'all with me? Because he's real. And so sometimes you need to know that when the devil is working, fighting hard against you, the thing that he uses is men, people. Ever think about that? His greatest attack is not in the, you know, in the dark of night when you're lying there in your bed and your mind is wandering. His greatest attack is when he uses other men and other women to come against you. That's, that's what he uses as his greatest force. And it says, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. You may say, have said at a time, that, that man, he's the devil. Have you ever said that? That guy, he's, a, he's the devil. He's coming after me. Well, he's not the devil. But he might be one of the devil's teeth. He might be one of the teeth of the devil who is attacking and coming after you. And so he says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey. Notice what it says. God has not given us as captive prey to their teeth. He's not given us over to the devil. The devil desires to eat you with his sharp teeth, to destroy you with his sharp teeth. But God, blessed be God, who has not given us to him. 
nor will he. Why has God not turned you over to the devil? You ever wonder that? I'm going to give you a simple answer. It's in the song. Because he's on our side. He has not given you over to the devil. He could have. Maybe even you could say he should have. Oh me. But he hasn't given you over to the devil because he is on your side. And so they bow on their knees and they say, Blessed be God who has not given us over as prey to the teeth of the devil. And then the third thing that we come against is sin. And you see this in verse 7. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. I'm going to get into this more in the application in just a minute, but uh, I believe this is a reference to sin's temptation. Like that fowler's snare. The, the bird is tempted to go into the snare because of something he wants, the seed or the, or the berry that's inside the snare. And we too are tempted by sin. And once we're caught in sin, we cannot get loose. We're powerless. We cannot escape like that bird cannot escape. But the Bible says here that the snare is broken. Look at it, verse 7. The snare is broken. We have escaped. How did that grip that had us, that grip of sin, that snare get broken? But by God. And now we have escaped. And it concludes in verse 8 with our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's apply this. I'm going to apply it by looking at these three points from the song. God is on our side when men come against us, when the devil comes against us, and when sin comes into our lives. Number one, men don't swallow people. The Bible speaks of God swallowing His enemies. In these first few verses, it talks about men coming against us. The Lord is on our side when men rise up against us. Or they would have swallowed us alive, verse 3. It's this perspective of something so much bigger than you are and so much powerful than you are swallowing you alive. But the Bible nowhere speaks of men swallowing men alive. Nor does it anywhere speak of the devil swallowing men alive. What it does, though, speak of is God doing things that swallow other things alive. I'm going to give you several examples of this. If you want to write it down, I don't have it in your notes. The first one is from Exodus chapter 7, verse 12. If you remember this story, it's when Moses and Aaron are standing before Pharaoh and they're trying to show who's the biggest and whose God is the biggest. And you remember they cast, Aaron cast his rod that would have been their dead wooden stick that they carried around like a cane. Aaron cast his rod down on the ground and God turns it into a snake. And so all the priests of Pharaoh, if you remember this, they also cast their rods down on the ground and their rods turn into a snake as well. But the Bible says in Exodus chapter 7 verse 12, For every man threw down his rod and they become like snakes and serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. It's the same word swallowed from verse 3 in our song. It means that God proved He is bigger and He is stronger than these priests of all these other false gods when His rod swallowed up their rods. Another example is in Exodus chapter 15, verse 1 through 13. When we read about Israel running from Egypt and they go to the Red Sea, you remember the story, and they get there and God parts the waters. And the Bible says Israel walks through on dry land. 
But then when they get on the other side and they look back through the parted waters, there comes Pharaoh and his soldiers. Pharaoh and his armor, army are still after them. And they're running into the water, into the dry ground, coming after Pharaoh. And God tells Moses to stretch out his right hand. The Bible says this in Exodus chapter 15, verse 12. And Moses stretched out his right hand, and the earth swallowed them up. Same word from our verse in this song. It means that the, the Lord allowed the water to flow back together and cross over all the soldiers of Egypt and swallow them alive. Another example is in Numbers chapter 16, verse 1 through 35. This is when the story talks about Korah and his boys. You know what I'm talking about? Korah and his boys who came and rose up against Moses and Aaron and said to them, Why are you chosen and not us? Why are you able to serve in the Lord's house and not us? They were grumbling and complaining about Moses and Aaron and saying, Why do you have the authority of God on your life and we don't? I'm going to read to you an excerpt from this passage and what happens when God, you remember he told them to bring their burning incense and put them in the house of God and how the Lord proved that Aaron was his man, but Here's what the Lord did after that in Numbers chapter 16. It came to pass when he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them. That's under Korah and his princes. If you remember what the Bible says, it says they were 250 accusers with Korah. Think about that. 250 accusers with Korah against Moses and Aaron. And the Bible says this about those 250 princes. It says they were men of renown. You know what that means? They were popular people. And the 250 of them rose up against Moses and Aaron. And now it's saying that when he had finished speaking these words, the ground split apart under them, all those 250. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up. Same word, swallowed. And their households and all the men with Korah, with their goods. So they... And all those who were with him went down alive into the pit of the earth, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around about them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also, and a fire come out from the Lord, and consume the 250 men who were offering those incense. Another example of this word is found in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. You remember the story of Jonah? where Jonah was running for the Lord, the Lord said to Jonah, go over there and preach. And Jonah said, no, I don't want to go, and I don't want to do that. It kind of reminds me of me. God said to me to preach, and I said, no, not me, Lord. I don't want to preach. But God kept saying, go, and Jonah wouldn't go. In this context of this swallowing up, the enemy is not somebody who's coming against you, but you. The enemy is you. You are your own worst enemy when you don't do what God wants you to do. You are your own worst enemy when you don't say or go where God wants you to go and say what God wants you to say. And so it says then in Jonah chapter 1 verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Same word. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Thank God Jonah was God's man. And even though in this case God had the, the great fish swallow Jonah, it wasn't to destroy Jonah, it was to uber Jonah. He ubered him from one place to another so that when the fish spit him out, he's going in the right direction, the direction that God initially told him to go. I find that our church has often been like, John, I'm not trying to put you in this context, but at least for the leaders of our church, I'm talking about Lighthouse now, for the leaders of our church and for us as a church in general, 
we have not easily went where God wanted us to go. We have often had God sort of shove us where he wanted us to go. That's how we got here in this shopping center. He brought in COVID, kicked us out of our school, which we would still probably be into this day because we're not great men of wisdom and foresight and courage, but we are just kind of uh, walking the best we can, and God shoves us out of the school. We're in the hot sun out there in the yard at my house, and then all of a sudden, God puts on another man, Mark Dickens' heart, to call us and say, won't you come be in the shopping center? We're like, oh, okay. <laughs> we'll come do that. Why, what's happening there? God sort of swallowed us up and put us over here where he wanted us to be. How many times have, have has God done that in your life? You didn't have the you, you don't have the ability to stand around and say, look what I've done. Look, look how I've accomplished these great things. I, I wouldn't have this career if it wasn't for me. I wouldn't have this job if it wasn't for me. No, you wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for God and what God has done. There's one final example I want to give you. It's in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, where it speaks of Jesus in this context swallowing up death. I'm going to put this one on the screen for you. It says he was... He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord of God will wipe away all tears from all faces. The rebuke of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. This, this takes the swallowing to a new level. God Almighty, through Jesus on the cross, swallows up death. In other words... God is so much larger and so much more powerful than even death. He swallows it alive. He takes it alive. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 52 through 58. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why is your labor not in vain in the Lord? Because God swallowed up death in victory. When men accuse you and men attack you, you may fear that they're going to swallow you alive, that they're so much stronger than you, they're so much more powerful than you. They have power that you don't have they can accuse you in ways that you cannot even defend yourself. But you remember this. First of all, it's not men who swallow people. It's God who swallows. Even down to swallowing death. And you have not been swallowed up by men, no matter what they have said. No matter what they have done. God will take them out of this world. And God will deal with men, especially men who come against the people of the church of the living God. Do you know that? Because the church is His bride. All of us men here in our church, we like to think of ourselves as manly men, strong, fighting men. 
and you let somebody lay a, a finger or, or the accusation against one of our wives, I think you'd not only fight that man, you might fight the other men of the church as well. Wouldn't we fight for our wives? Jesus calls the church his bride, his wife. Mere mortal men raise accusations against him. Do not think that God will take it lightly. Do not think that God will not stand on your behalf even though men may accuse you. As a pastor, I've seen men rise up against the church in many different ways. And I've seen... I, I don't want to tell you what I've seen God do, what I believe I've seen God do, but I'll tell you this. I've seen God do such... take such strong measures that when I prayed to God after seeing it, I would shake, I would tremble. Because God does not deal lightly with people who come against His church, the bride of Christ. Men may accuse you and attack you, but men will not swallow you. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Number two, the devil cannot eat you though he may use men to attack you. We talked about this a moment ago when we talked about this transition to verse 6 where it says that he has given, not given us as prey to their teeth. I believe it's a, con a context of thinking about what the devil could have done if he had abused these men in the right way, but God is stronger and God is more powerful. Verse 6 is a confirmation that God is for us. That He has not given us to be eaten by these teeth. Men can and will attack you on, your, on their own. However, some men can and will attack you because the devil is trying to destroy you and the devil's trying to scare you with his teeth. Blessed is the Lord who has not given you over to them because He is on your side. I want us to look together at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7-9 through 9 for encouragement on this point. It says, Casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, notice the devil is your adversary, walks about like a roaring lion. Think of his, his growl, his roar, the roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour, that is the word swallow, whom he may eat with his sharp teeth. And it says, resist him, strong in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. First of all, let me give you the first point in, in looking at this. The devil is never said in the Bible to be a lion. Nor is he said to be a lion, lion here. He's not said to be a lion. Look what it says. Like a roaring lion. What is the devil? He's a deceiver and he's a copycat of God. He wants to be God, but he's not God. When we get to the book of Revelation, we see God depicted as this great, powerful lion. The imagery is of his strength and his power. The devil does not have that same strength and that same power, and he's never referred to in all of Scripture as a lion, though here he's said to try to be like a lion. And how does he try to be like a lion? It says that he roars. He roars as if he wants to eat us. But I have a question. Why is he roaring loudly if he wants to eat us? 
Why is he not sneaking up on us if he wants to eat us? In the garden, the devil is said to be a snake. What are snakes? Snakes are sneaky. You ever heard somebody say the sneaky snake? I was in the woods recently with a couple of guys. We were walking through the woods, and I saw about a seven-foot black snake. And we were about three feet apart, Eric, and I just yelled, Snake! And you should have. It was far enough away from me when I saw it. But those other two guys didn't know where it was. And they danced like girls for a while, just (laughs) running and jumping. And the snake never moved. Why? Because the snake had snuck up on us. It was there before we knew it. Why does it not say here that the devil, like a sneaky snake, wants to eat you? No, it says the, 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 the devil, like a roaring lion, wants to eat you. This is not a sneaky attack that comes to you unnoticed. This is a full frontal attack. In some sense, it is so loud, it's like a roar in your life. And so what is it? Look at the end of the verses. It says, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers. So what is this roaring of the lion? But sufferings. The same sufferings are experienced by your brothers. This roar of the, that the devil gives, this yell in your life, it's a frontal attack where he wants to destroy you. It's the suffering in your life. Well, our church in the last year or two has known full well what suffering is like. As we look across our body of believers, many of you have gone through great despair and suffering especially in the last couple years the reason the devil roars doesn't sneak because he can't devour you we've already looked at that he can't swallow you he cannot eat you because as verse 6 says blessed be the Lord he has not given us as prey to their teeth God has not given you over to the devil so he cannot eat you But he can try to scare you by roaring in your face and trying to cause you to be afraid. In the last couple of years, you know that Cindy went through cancer and you were along that journey with us and you watched us go through that. And we we so graciously saw the outstretched arm of God and the power of God as we walked through cancer. He was so good to us. But if I be very vulnerable with you today, you say, John, where is the devil roaring in your life right now? Where is he screaming out in your life right now? I'm going to tell you where he is. I'm not usually a scaredy kind of person when it comes to the battles with the devil and between the Lord and the devil. But I've never been more afraid of my wife getting cancer again. (laughs) She's not doing real good right now. She's not sleeping right now. And I'm scared her cancer could come back or maybe has come back. If you said, John, how is the devil roaring in your life? That's how he's roaring in my life. He's given me fear in the last few months like I've never experienced in my whole life. roar. But this is what I know. Preaching to me now, not you. Only God can allow that cancer to come back. The devil doesn't have that power. Blessed be the Lord who's not given us his prey to the teeth. He has not turned us over to the devil. 
And so the devil cannot devour us. He doesn't have that power. He doesn't have that strength. And I know this. Unless the Lord had been on our side, my wife would not have won the victory with cancer already. Look what he says here. He says, seeking whom he may devour. Look what it says. Resist him. Strong in the faith. Resist him how? With faith. God is for us and not, as, not against us. God is on our side. I'm asking you and I'm asking me to believe that today. When the, when the devil, like a roaring lion, roars in your face something to scare you, what if this happens? What if this comes? What if this happens again? What if this happens to your family? You, you fill in the blank. You know where the devil is roaring in your life. I told you where he's roaring in my life. How do you fight that when the devil roars in your face trying to scare you? He says, resist him strong in the faith. What does that mean? It means the way... First of all, let's talk about resisting. Resisting somehow in the church language has got to be some meager, meek, non-active, uh, feeble kind of thing that you do where you just kind of resist. Well, I want you to know that when you're, when you're held down by somebody, I was going to have you do this, Eric, but I didn't want to hurt you. I was going to have you come over and just grip me and grab me, and then I was going to resist you and try to break through. That resisting is fighting. It's fighting back. It's saying, no, you won't have control on me. It's saying, no, you won't have me in bondage. It's saying, no, you won't have me in fear. How do you resist? It says, with strong faith. You believe God is on your side. That's how you fight back. You say, God is on my side. God has my life. God has my life. God has all these things in His control. And He is for us and not against us. And that's how you resist the devil. That's how you resist him. With strong faith. Fight back. I'm asking you to believe today that God is for you and not against you. No matter what happens in your life. No matter what the devil even does in your life. Believe that God is for you and not against you. Number three, in every temptation, God has given you a way of escape. I'm going to show you a video, but before we show it, I want to just set it up. Because this goes back to verse 7, where it says, Our soul is escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. A, a snare is broken and we have escaped. I, I was thinking about this week and I was thinking, you don't know what a bird trap looks like. And so I had a video prepared that showed you and all your little children how to make bird traps and how to catch live birds. and Not kill them, but just catch them, you know, and then release. And I was going to show you the whole video how to, how to catch birds and in a trap. But I'm not going to show you the part of the video that teaches you how to do it. I'm just going to show you the part where they get caught. Okay, let's just bear with me. Watch this real quick. See the sticks, that's the trap that you need to know how to build if you're going to do this, young people. <laughs> and there's a snare, a string on the ground. He's tempted by the sea. Oh, okay, that's enough. No animals were harmed in the production of this. Piece. 
<laughs> you and I are first tempted, lured away by our own lusts. The devil knows you too well. He knows your own lusts. He knows your own desires, your own temptations. James chapter 1 verse 14 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Just like that little bird, you're tempted by something and you go after it. You, you foolishly, can I put that word in there? You foolishly go after it again and again. You're drawn away by your desires and you're tempted and you go after it. And then in, a, in an instant, you're trapped, caught in your sins. You've done what you didn't want to do. You've went where you didn't want to go. And now you feel this bondage of sin. And once you're trapped like that bird, you cannot help yourself. You cannot get free from the noose that has cinched around you. Now you're helpless. You've, it's already been done. The only way you can get free is for somebody else to come along, somebody bigger, stronger, more powerful than you, and set you free. Look at verse 7 when it says, Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. It's like, I want you to picture this. You, you, you go foolishly headlong into your sin and you get caught in your sin and God who loves you reaches down, grabs that trap. Look what it says. The snare is broken and He just breaks it into pieces. He, he breaks that thing into pieces. That bondage is destroyed. He breaks the string. He breaks the sticks. He, he breaks the bondage. And then it says in verse 7, and we have escaped. <laughs> I, I don't know if you can see church with spiritual eyes. My house. I don't know if you can see church with spiritual eyes, but some Sundays, if not every Sunday, when, when people walk through those doors in here and begin to worship God and begin to seek out God and, and begin to pray again and begin to praise God again, what's happening there is, is God's breaking the traps that entangled them during the week and the, the bondage of sin that wrapped its cords and hands on them during the week and God's helping them to escape and setting them free and setting them back up on their feet where they're supposed to be to worship the living God. God did this for us because He's on our side. He says, Blessed be the Lord. Our soul has escaped because God is on our side. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. You did not deserve to be set free. We're not worthy to be set free, but God in His mercy has set you free. By His Spirit, He has set you free. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing that He has begun to get work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You, you wouldn't mess this up every week if left to yourself. If God were not for you, if God were not on your side, you would mess this Christian thing up every week if not every day. Amen? And He is doing something in your life and for you. Psalms 93, verse 1. Surely is, He has delivered us from the snare of the fowler. Psalm 25, verse 15. My eyes are ever towards the Lord because He has plucked my feet out of the net. If God had not been... Oh, I'm testifying now. If God had not been on my side, I would have by now been destroyed by sin over and over again. 
God is on our side. And God is for us. Even, I was preaching old preaching, but I'm going to preach it. Even when you have succumbed to temptation and fallen into sin and in the trap of sin, while you lay there in your filth, in the trap of sin, even in that moment, God is on your side. He breaks the trap and He lifts you out and sets you free to worship Him again. Number four. We must know that God is for us and not against us. I want you to know that in verse 8 it says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. We as a people, we as a church, must know that God is for us. When men attack us, and if they're not attacking you now, it's coming. When men attack us and slander us and come against us, we must be able with confidence in God, not confidence in ourselves, with confidence in God, to know that God is for us and on our side. When the devil comes against us, and the devil attacks us, we must be able to know with faith that God is for us and God is on our side. When we are tempted by sin, even when you have fallen into the depths of sin, you must know that God is for us and God is on our side. We must be delivered from the thought life of the American Christian. The American Christian thinks like this. One thing grows wrong. One circumstance goes wrong. One ounce of suffering comes into my life. And we begin to think, is God against me? Has God left me? Has God forsaken me? And if we're going to be that kind of feeble Christian, we will quit in the days ahead because times are going to get harder, times are going to get more difficult, and suffering is going to get deeper for the Christian in the generations to come than we have seen in our day. And we must not be so easily swayed and so easily to doubt that the favor of God is on us. You don't have the favor of God because of anything you've done. You have the favor of God because Jesus went to the cross in your place. And that bought God's favor for you for all eternity. And you as parents need to know this. You have a job now. You must raise your children more than anything else to believe with all their heart that God is for them and God is on their side. Your children must believe this because your children are going to face suffering more than you face suffering. Your children are going to face, do you believe that? They're going to face hardship more than you are. And for our children not to be weak, spineless, quitting Christians, they must know God's for them and God's on their side no matter what comes against them. Wicked men, the devil, even sin. And I want you to know this, parents, the deeper sin gets more prevalent in our society. And it is. The more temptation is around your children. The more temptation will face your children. The deeper and darker sins will face them. Things we don't even think about when we were young kids. It will be in their face and it will be all around them. What does that mean for us? It means they must believe God's for them and God's on their side. They must not doubt that. They must be sure of it no matter what happens in their life. They must know Jesus died on the cross for me and God will not let me go. In the days of suffering in Christian men and women, I read about it this week. Men who were burned at the stake. 
Men who were raised upside down and killed and whipped and beaten for their faith in Jesus Christ. How do they endure such things? They only endure because of one thing. They know God is on my side and God is for me. Though I die today, God is for me. We must raise a generation that believes that. We must be a church that believes that. We must be, if we're going to honor Jesus and what He's done on the cross, a man or a woman that believes that. I'm asking you today. You've been walking wimpy through your Christian life in the last days. You've been walking feeble and, 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 and timid in your Christian life in the last days. Why? Because you wonder back and forth. You teeter back and forth. Is God for me or against me? Is God with me or against me? I'm preaching today that God's for you in Jesus' name. I'm preaching today that God's for you because Jesus died on the cross. And I want you to embrace that today. And it'll be like coming out of darkness into the light. It'll be a new beginning for you. It'll be a new start for you when you walk through this world asking God to do mighty and powerful things. How can you do that? Because you believe God's on your side. When you go forward with boldness and say things that God wants you to say and do things that God wants you to do and talk to people that God wants you to talk to, why can you do that? Because God Almighty is on your side and God Almighty is for you. Stop being so timid and weak and feeble and start believing in the truth of Jesus Christ and His cross. God is for you today. He's for you and He's not against you. And stop going back and forth. Oh, I want you to know, people, He's had me in a grip of this kind of bondage in my own life of wondering, is God for me against me? It's the roaring of the devil. God is for us. I want to say to you too, God's for this church. God's for Lighthouse Church. I wish I had you somebody. Amen? Amen. He's for this church. Where he wouldn't have given us all these little children. He wouldn't have set us up and established us and made us who we are today. He wouldn't have filled this place with the precious peace of men and brothers and sisters who love each other. Something that's lacking in the church of today. He's filled us with that kind of love. Do you see it? I talked to a guy this week. He said, I, I need to get back to church. I need to get back to church. He said, I miss those guys like Justin and, and Eric who love me. God is doing something here. And the devil wants to roar and cause it to collapse and tumble to the ground. But God is for us. God is for us and He's not against us. And they were singing a song about it. God is for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? God wants to use you for the glory of God. He wants your life to matter. He wants your life to count. And He wants to use your children and your family in the same way. And if He's going to ever use anybody, know this, if He's ever going to use anybody, then the devil knows it. And the devil's going to come against you. Know this, if the Lord is ever going to use you, the devil's going to come against you. And when the devil comes against you, the only thing that's going to carry you through is you've got to know by faith that God is for you. And God is on your side. Would you stand with me in prayer? Would you praise God for being for you? Would you internalize that faith today and claim, claim before God, thank Him that He is for you.
and he's on your side. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for what you're doing here. We thank you for these families and these children. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to embrace this truth today and to believe it and to walk in it, to walk confidently in the fact that God's hand is on us and God is on our side and God is for us. Lord, I pray for men and women here today that are their mind is wondering even right now, thinking about circumstances and things that have happened. Lord, we, we by faith believe that You're for us, even though things have happened that we don't like, even though things have happened that have hurt us and harmed us. We know that You know what's best. And on bended knee today, we say, Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we praise You, Father, for who You are today. Lord, we put our faith in You. We put our faith in You, Jesus. Have Your way, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.